Amen. You may be seated, everyone. Thank you, worship team, for leading us today. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. If you, uh, if you need a Bible, you can raise your hand, and one of our ushers will hand you one. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, uh, we just sang about freedom. Uh, I want to preach about the freedom that Jesus gives us uh, today as well. And so we're in a series looking at uh, gratitude. We're in a Thanksgiving uh, sermon series here called Thanks, How Gratitude uh, Shapes Our Lives. And uh, today we're going to talk about really what the normal Christian experience is. Anything that I show you today in this passage that is not consistent uh, with our lives in this respect is really an abnormal Christian experience. What we see in this text is the normal Christian experience, and we're going to talk about gratitude as it pertains uh, to generosity. And so if you're a college student, if you're retired, if you're a teacher, if you're a business executive, if you're a stay-at-home mom or dad, uh, this message is for you as we talk specifically about generosity and gratitude and generosity as it pertains to our finances, to our money. And so let's go to God in... um, Let me read this text actually first, and then we'll go to God in prayer. But Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse number one, hear the word of the Lord. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus, though, don't don't misunderstand Zacchaeus here. On the outside, he looks very wealthy. On the inside, he is a broken man, a deeply broken man. Man who Christ wants to set free. There was a man by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy and he wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed the sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house Today, So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, who's going to be the guest of a sinner. They're muttering to themselves. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would set us free today. You would save us. You would rescue us. You would deliver us. May your Holy Spirit bring scripture alive in us, Lord. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Over the past years, one of the revelations that have come to me, that came to me, was the level of addiction, my level of addiction to sugar. My level of addiction to sugar. Uh, Since I can remember, I've loved candies. I've loved cupcakes. I've loved Kit Kats. I've loved sweets. I love soda. I've loved it all. And so with this uh, uh, new revelation about my addiction to sugar, I've been working on limiting my sugar intake. Uh, You know you're addicted to something when uh, parting ways with it kills you. And so I've been experiencing a little bit of death as I've been saying no more and more to sugar. But in my battle with sugar, 
uh, I have found the way around it from time to time. And, and I found that my rationale is actually quite biblical uh, to keep sugar in my life. It's actually, I found out, it's affirmed by Jesus. And so some of you are probably wondering, where's that verse? I'm going to show you the verse right now. Uh, because I fully understand that sugar is the enemy. But Jesus said to love your enemies. And so I'm... Just being obedient to Jesus. I want to talk about another kind of addiction. And the color of this form of addiction is not white. The color of this form of addiction in this country is green. Green as in money. We have an addiction to money and what money can do for us. Now, whether we know it or not, we are like Gollum when it comes to money. When it gets in our hand, the precious, we do not want to let it go. We want more of it, and we want what it can do for us. And as a matter of fact, money becomes the object in which we put our trust in. And this is why one of the greatest ways to measure our spiritual maturity is to measure our relationship with our money. One of the greatest ways to measure our spiritual maturity is to uh, look at the way of our relationship with our money. And the challenge before us is we live in a culture of greed. And greed finds its way in our city. Greed finds its way in our culture. Greed finds its way in the church. And greed finds its way in our hearts. Now, greed is the uh, intense desire to possess more than we need which leads to unhealthy attachments. And many times we have unhealthy attachments as it pertains to possessions, and so possessions end up possessing us. We have unhealthy attachments as it pertains to money. And actually, greed might be the biggest obstacle to a life of gratitude, what we're talking about this month. And so Jesus, in the gospel, is calling us to a different way of being. And last week, I, I, I mentioned that one of the words that we're taught from very early on is the word thanks. To say thank you is something that we're taught from very early on in our lives. But we're also taught something else in our lives. We're also taught at a very young age to share. But instead of living under the power of sharing, we tend to live under the power of greed and what is beneath the greed, which I'll get to in a moment. And so just as what we just sung about, God wants to set us free. In our text, we come across a man today who has the same problem that many of us, if not all of us, wrestle with. His name is Zacchaeus, but from time to time, I will call him Zach, okay? Uh, Zach was a man who had it all. He had the finest suits. He had the finest and fastest cars or the fastest camels for that day. He ate at the fanciest restaurants. He had the nicest home and he was able to live this kind of life because he was a tax collector. But not only was he a tax collector, he was a chief tax collector. And last week we learned of a group of people that were despised by the religious leaders and the people of the day. We learned about the lepers last week and they were despised because they were contagious. In our text this week, we learn about another kind of person, another kind of group of people that are despised, but they're despised for a different reason. The lepers are despised because they are contagious. The tax collectors are despised because they are corrupt. And there are a few reasons why people despise the tax collectors in the New Testament. First of all, they despise the tax collectors because, let's face it, no one wants to pay money to the government. 
especially when the government is an oppressive regime like the Roman Empire who had their foot on their necks. And not only did they have their foot on their necks, they had to give taxes towards these people. And so those people who collected taxes for the government were despised. The other reason why they hated the tax collectors, though, was because many of the tax collectors were Jewish people who were working for the Roman government and taking money from their own people. And so they would take extra money from their own countrymen. And so instead of working against the Roman Empire, they were working in conjunction with the Roman Empire and taking advantage of their cousins and their uncles and their aunts and their second cousins, and people despised them as a result of this. But the real reason they were also despised in light of all that is the tax collectors would take extra money from them. They would tax them a little bit more. And they would live off the extra taxes that they have taxed family, countrymen, cousins, everyone. So people despise the tax collectors. People despise Zacchaeus. And, and, and they hated when he would come around because it meant that they had to pay. Now, what would happen in, in our day is Zacchaeus has all of this money. He's a chief tax collector. And the question is, what is compelling Zacchaeus to take more and more and more? And really what I would surmise is that it, what's driving Zacchaeus is greed. Greed. Now, we live in a society much like Zacchaeus. An intense desire to possess more than we need, which actually leads, leads to unhealthy attachments. Now, some of you might be saying to me this morning, Rich, I'm not a tax collector. Be easy on me. Some of you might be saying, I don't even make a lot of money. But the truth is, regardless of our annual salaries, greed is something that we will wrestle with from time to time. The intense desire to possess more than we need. Our society is formed by greed. It's in the air that we breathe. We are instructed really to hold on, to hoard. And actually, it begins when we are really young. It starts off this greed when we're really young, maybe a couple of years old. I read an article recently, uh, you know, we have two kids in the house and from time to time I spend my time, uh, uh, you know, reading articles on websites about children and such. And one article amused me recently and the article was about the it's mine phase in children. The it's mine phase in greedy children. And, uh, and uh, one parent was looking for advice for her greedy two-year-old. And, so, and she writes this and looking for advice. She says, in the last few weeks, my soon-to-be two-year-old has started the it's mine phase. It's normal, I know, and I fully expected it. But what I'm wondering is, how have others handled it? I'll give you an example of how far this has gone. She said, my son has a living room full of toys. And he can happily be playing with something with me or his dad, playing on the floor with him. And as soon as one of us touches a different toy... Then the one he is using, he immediately drops what he is playing with and grabs the other toy out of our hands saying, that's mine, that's mine. And if you do not give it to him, he immediately goes into a tantrum. Now, I know none of your children act like this here, and, and so, you know, that's children out there, but... But the, but the it's mine phase is something that begins when we're children, and then it goes away... And then we become adults and we make a little bit of money and then something happens that it's mine phase makes a comeback in our lives. 
and we make a little bit of money, we go, uh-uh, that's mine. I worked for that. I worked overtime for that. I had that is mine. And so much so that whatever we take in, whatever we earn to part ways with it, the way parting ways with sugar becomes incredibly difficult. Now, recent studies have shown that charitable giving really reflects this reality in our country and in our church, that in our country and in our church, the average amount that people will give is 2% or less, in generally speaking. And and so it's no difference in the church. And the question that we must wrestle with as we look at Zacchaeus' life, as we look at our life, is, is what is beneath the greed? What is beneath us holding on and not letting go? What is beneath it? And if Zacchaeus was here, if Zach was here, and I could interview him and say, Zach, why in the world did you treat your mother like that? Why in the world did you take extra taxes when you didn't need all that? What was beneath the fear, the, the greed? And I'd say what's beneath the greed is fear. Fear is beneath the greed. For many of us, we have a hard time letting go, not because we're just greedy. It's what's beneath the greed. It's the fear. And the question we wrestle with is this, Lord, if I let this go, even if it's a portion of it, will you take care of me? If, if I give generously to someone else, will my needs be provided for? And so beneath the surface of greed really lurks fear. And fear is a thing that scares us into greed. Because we're afraid that if I let this go, will God take care of me? Maybe you're a college student and you're wondering, if, if, if I... If I Practice generosity. Have you seen how much textbooks cost? Would I have enough money for textbooks? We say to ourselves, maybe you're retired or you're entering into retirement. And he's saying, I have a certain amount of money here. And you're saying to me, I'm to let go some of it. But what's going to happen to me if I let go some of it? And, And fear drives our greed. Fear scares us into greed. We ask, will my quality of life decrease if I give our our money away? And and it's the fear that creates a prison for us. And we get ensnared by our greed and what's beneath our greed, which is fear. And so Zacchaeus, although he's wealthy, although he has the finest suits, although he has everything he wants, this man is in a prison. He's in a prison of greed. And what's beneath the greed is fear. And he's in a prison to all of it. And he wants to be free. I imagine he wants to be free. Because what happens in the text next is, is interesting. Zacchaeus, is, he's, he's in this business. He's addicted to money. It seems like there's no hope for him. But one day he hears that there's a guy named Jesus coming to the neighborhood. And he's heard a little bit about Jesus. He's never met Jesus face to face. He's never had a conversation with Jesus. He's never laid eyes on Jesus. He's heard about Jesus. He's heard about how Jesus sets lepers free. He's heard about how Jesus sets the poor free, sets sick people free. And so he hears about his reputation and he goes to seek him. He goes searching for him. And isn't it interesting that you could have it all and yet there's something missing in your life? You could have it all financially speaking. You could have it all relationally speaking. You can have it all and yet you deep down inside you realize there is something missing in my life. This is what Zacchaeus is feeling. He has it all and yet something is missing. And so he hears that Jesus is stopping by and he starts searching for Jesus. Why? Perhaps he's nosy. Perhaps he's curious. But perhaps deep down inside, he says, I want to be free. I want to be free. And so Zacchaeus starts looking for Jesus. 
And he notices there's a crowd there, and, and, and it says that he's like a Danny DeVito kind of a guy. He's like just really short, and, and he can't see. And so I imagine him jumping over the crowd to see, and he can't see. Jumping over here to see Jesus. Excuse me, he can't get through. And he realizes, oh, I have a great idea. He knows about a, a, a fig tree, a sycamore tree in the neighborhood. And so he runs up to the tree, and he climbs it in his three-piece suit. He climbs the tree. And he's looking for Jesus and he, he sees, where, where is he? Which one is he? And, and he sees where the crowd is gathered and he sees who's at the center of the crowd. And finally he lays his eyes on Jesus, searching for Jesus, looking for Jesus. But what happens next in the story is surprising. Because while he is searching for Jesus, he's never met Jesus. He's looking for him to see what's the fuss all about. When the crowd gets near the fig tree, the sycamore tree, Zacchaeus looks down. And he makes eye contact with Jesus. And then in a very surprising way, Jesus looks up and says, Zacchaeus. And at that moment, he goes, how'd you know my name? Who told, who told him? And Zacchaeus, come down. And I imagine Zacchaeus is shaking at this moment, like, what's, what's about to happen next? And he goes, Zacchaeus, I need to come over your house. Now, Jesus does something at that moment. Very few people can do that in my life just basically volunteer themselves that they're coming over my house. <laughs> hey, Rich, good to see you. I'm coming over. No, you're not coming over. What do you mean you're not com- coming over? You better call me first before you come over. But Zacchaeus says, okay. And the, and the surprise of the story is this. Although Zacchaeus was looking for Jesus, all along, Jesus was looking for Zacchaeus. We say to ourselves, Hey, when did you find God? And really, that's not the right question. The question is, when did God find you? Because Jesus was searching for Zacchaeus, and Jesus is searching for you today. You came in this morning for for worship. You came in this morning to raise your hands and sing. You came in this morning to hear teaching from the Bible. You came looking for Jesus, but I want to let you know, this whole entire time, Jesus has been looking for you. When you came in, he he saw you. And he calls you by name. Every one of you in this room, he calls you by name. He sees you. He knows your past. He knows your addictions. He knows your hangups. And he still calls you by name and says, can I come over? Can I come over? And to come over was a scandalous thing in that day because to enter into the tax collector's home in that day was something that you would not do because you would be rendered unclean. In the same way that, that associating with lepers would make you unclean, associating with tax collectors would make you unclean. And so when Jesus says, I'm coming to your house, the religious people say, wait a second, Jesus is doing it again. Why is he hanging out with these unclean people? And the reason he's hanging with these unclean people is Jesus wants to make these unclean people clean. And if an ordinary person were to touch an unclean person, they would become unclean. But when Jesus touches your life, he doesn't become unclean. You become clean. And so he, he visits this tax collector's home. Jesus sees him and says, let's start a friendship. Because to have a meal at someone's house was really the, the paradigmatic sign of friendship. He's saying, I want to have a relationship with you. I want to know you. I I, I want you to follow me, Zacchaeus. And everyone else has given up on you, but I haven't given up on you. And Jesus has not given up on any of you in this room. He sees you and he calls you to relationship with himself. And Zacchaeus says yes. He never met him, but he says yes. 
In the same way as if you were in Queen Center Mall and you heard that your hero was there, an idol of yours, an athlete, uh, an entertainer, a singer, a musician, you heard they're going to be in Queen Center Mall. You're going to do everything you can to, to get there. And if the crowd is too big for you, you're going to find a bench to stand on or stand on somebody else's head. And you're going to see your idol there. And imagine he looks at you and says, Rich, I'm coming over today. You say, of course, I let you come, not everybody else. I let you come over. Let's have a good time. Absolutely. Zacchaeus sees Jesus and Jesus sees Zacchaeus. And Jesus says, I'm coming over. And Zacchaeus at that moment recognizes he's the recipient of goodness. And gratitude begins to flow from his life. I mentioned last week that gratitude is knowing awareness that we are the recipients of goodness which results in constantly coming back to God, for the, to the source of that goodness, which is God. And so out of this encounter, Zach is grateful. And he does something amazing to dis- demonstrate his gratitude. After Jesus sees him, he says, I'm coming over today. And immediately Zacchaeus knows, if I'm in a relationship with Jesus, something has to change. If Jesus is coming over, something has, things cannot remain the same. Something has to change. And it goes the same for us as well. To be in, in relationship with Jesus means some things have to change. And Zacchaeus says, Lord, look. I'm so grateful for your goodness towards me. I'm going to pray the rest of my life every single day. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, Lord, I'm so grateful for your goodness towards me. I'm going to read the Bible every single day of my life. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, Lord, I'm so grateful for your goodness. I'm going to go to church every single Sunday. Sometimes I'm even going to go to two services. He doesn't say that. He says, Lord, look. Here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated out, anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And what Zacchaeus is showing us in this moment is that gratitude is not just something we feel. Gratitude is something we do. He could, the lepers last week could have said, after they got healed, as nine of them did, all of them could have just said, oh, wait, guys, wait a second. Let's just take time to thank Jesus. We're going to walk back. No, we're not going to walk back. We're just going to do it right here. Jesus, thank you. And then go about their business. That's gratitude as a feeling. But one of the lepers says, "Uh uh-uh, I need to go back because gratitude is something you do. Zacchaeus could have said, Jesus, thank you for your goodness towards me. I will remember this day the rest of my life. Amen. And nothing changes. But he doesn't do that because to be encountered by the goodness of God means that things cannot remain the same. And Zacchaeus says, look, I will give up to 50% of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated any of you out, mom, that goes for you too, mom. I'll give you up to four times what I've stolen from you, what I've taken from you. Gratitude is not something we just feel. Gratitude is something that we do. And after, uh, uh, after Zacchaeus says this, he really demonstrates the normal Christian life that out of receiving the goodness of God, gratitude flows from his life and generosity flows out of that gratitude. And that's the normal Christian life. Goodness comes, gratitude emerges, generosity spills over. That's the normal Christian life. Anything that is, does not reflect that is the abnormal Christian life. 
And so Zacchaeus says, I'm going to demonstrate this goodness that I've received by being generous. And then another surprise in the story comes where Jesus hears these words. And then Jesus says these words today. I tell everyone, everyone, are you paying attention today? I want to announce salvation has come to this house. Jesus says, stop the presses, everybody. Zacchaeus just said he's going to give that Zacchaeus. He's going to give 50. Yeah, the guy who stole the, he's going to give 50% to the poor. I want to announce salvation has come to this house. And Jesus is saying is, is one of the best indicators of receiving Jesus is that we're able to release our money in generosity. One of the best indicators. You say, well, Rich, I pray a lot. Fantastic. Well, Rich, I keep the Sabbath. Praise God. Well, Rich, I read the Bible. Good for you. But, but, but how are you with your generosity? Oh, I don't do that. And one of the greatest indications that we have truly received Jesus is that we're able to release our money in generosity. And so Jesus announces salvation has come. Now, what's absolutely beautiful about the word that Jesus uses there, it's the same word he used last week to Larry the leper. When Larry the leper comes back in gratitude and repentance and he comes before Jesus, Jesus says, they might have been healed, but you have been made well. And it's the same word that Jesus uses here. The, the Greek word, it's sozo. It's the same word for salvation. Larry came back and Jesus says, you have been made well. You have been truly saved. And he says, Zacchaeus, salvation has truly come to you. Because you are really expressing what true salvation is. That out of receiving the goodness of God, gratitude flows. And out of gratitude, generosity flows. And Jesus says, today salvation has come. And the crowd, it cannot believe it. Generosity flows. And Zacchaeus is rescued. Now we see that in Zacchaeus, what the normal Christian experience is. We encounter the love of Jesus. We're filled with gratitude and gratitude overflows into Generosity. Gratitude is something we do, not just something we feel. That's why when someone does you a big favor, many times we respond by saying, I'm so thankful. Is there anything I can do to repay you? What can I do to repay you? We don't just say, many times, ah, thank you. When something, someone does a, something deep for us, what can I do? We were meant to do gratitude, not just feel gratitude. And so Zacchaeus says, I'm giving away 50%. Now, for us in this room, the question we must wrestle with is, have we really tasted the goodness of God? And out of that place, have our, has our lives been filled with gratitude? And out of that place, has generosity spilled from us? And so, like Zacchaeus, the invitation that God gives all of us in this room is that if you've tasted goodness, that gratitude would be filled in your life, and that generosity would flow. And so, this is what I want to invite us to consider invite us to pray through, and invite us to do. Zacchaeus gave 50%, but I want to invite you to do a spiritual practice and begin the spiritual practice. The same way that I talk about the spiritual practice of Sabbath and we talk about the spiritual practice of stopping three, four times a day to pray to God. 
We'll talk about the spiritual practice of tithing, of giving 10% as training wheels for generosity. Training wheels for generosity. The New Testament doesn't really give many specific guidelines about tithing. It's all over the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, what we see is people who encounter the grace of God and say, I got to give more than 10% because they've been filled with the goodness of God and it it comes out of their lives. But today I want to talk about really the training wheels and practice of gratitude, which is 10%. Imagine you have 10 apples in front of you and and you say, these are my apples. And, And then God says, can you give away one of those apples? And you go... Uh, okay, you give away one of the apples. That's what's called a tithe. You gave away, and you have nine apples still. More than enough for you. And the spiritual uh, uh, practice, any spiritual practice is meant to help us trust God more. So when we invite you to the spiritual practice of Sabbath, it's, in, it's calling us to trust God more. When we invite you to do the spiritual practice of prayer, it's called to, it leads to trusting God more. And the same thing applies as it pertains to generosity, the spiritual practice of tithing. It helps us to trust God more, but not only does it help us to trust God more, what tithing is about, the spiritual practice of 10%, is about protecting us from becoming this. Generosity is a protection from becoming this. And all of us in this room have the tendency to become that. And so when you're generous, what you're saying is, this does not have authority over me. I'm free from it. I'm free to worship God. I don't worship this. The spiritual practice of tithing protects us from being like this. Now, many of you in this room, you might not be in the place at this moment to set aside 10%. And so this is not a legalism. This is not a guilt. This is not a shame. But know that this is the kind of life that God has purpose for us. And so we, we should be on our way towards this. And really, I, I believe the picture that God has for us is, I believe Zacchaeus turned from that, Zacchaeus turned from that picture into this. Zacchaeus went from the precious to freedom. And he said, I'm giving 50, as we say in Brooklyn, 50%, I'm giving 50%. I'm giving... 50% to the poor, 50, I'm just doing it here, and I'm free. And this is a picture of Zacchaeus, that as he's giving away his money, he's living now with a kind of freedom that he never had before. And this is what the spiritual practice of tithing is to do in our lives, of generosity, to turn us from that to that, to set us free. The question is, where are you today? Do you resemble more of Gollum or do you resemble the freedom that's in Christ? Do, do you, are you more like Gollum holding on because of fear? What's going to happen? Or are you living in freedom because you trust in the God who will provide for you? And this is the invitation that Jesus was giving Zacchaeus. And this is the invitation that Jesus gives us as I invite the worship team to come forward. Jesus basically says to us, if you trust me with something as which seems in the large scheme of things as insignificant as 10%, I will take care of you. If you trust me, I will look after you. Trust me, I will take care of you. And this is the promise of Jesus throughout the entire scriptures. That as you offer your life to me, I will take care of you. And as we offer this portion, he will provide for us. 
And so God wants to set us free today. And Jesus Christ is moving towards you today the same way he was moving towards Zacchaeus. In love and in friendship. But when he says, Zacchaeus, by me coming your way, I'm extending my hand of friendship to you. And essentially, Jesus said, I'm extending both my hands of friendship. That means, Zacchaeus, you have to let go of what's in your hands so you can grab mine. And Jesus is moving towards you. And Jesus sees you. And he calls you to himself, pours out goodness. And that goodness is to fill us with gratitude, and that gratitude is to overflow with generosity. So I want to give us a moment just to, to close our eyes for a moment, just to be still in the presence of God. And the invitation is really to order our lives around generosity. And when we look at our monthly budgets, when we look at the way, where our money is going to in a given month, the spiritual practice of generosity says, I'm going to take the time to carefully look at how I'm practicing generosity. Not as an afterthought, but as the thing that leads my life, which is what I want to invite you to do this week and the coming weeks as you think about your resources, your possessions, your finances. God is calling us to be set free from looking like Gollum to a life of freedom, experiencing what Zacchaeus experienced. So let's pause for a moment. What are you afraid of, really, is what I want you to wrestle with for a moment in silence between you and the Holy Spirit. What do you fear today? As you hear generosity and you hear giving, what fears are coming your way? I want you to name those fears and offer it to God that he would fill you with his peace. Let's pause for a moment. Father, your word says that perfect love casts out fear. And I pray that as we experience your perfect love, that whatever fear we have, which leads us to holding on, would be released. May we live as joyful people, Lord, experiencing your goodness, being filled with gratitude, overflowing in generosity. And may we, like Zacchaeus, may we... May we let go of what has possessed us in such a way that we can truly say that salvation has come to this house today. And so we sing to you now words of worship, words of praise, words of gratitude. It's in Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, amen. Let's all stand and sing together. Give myself away. I want to invite our prayer team to come forward as we close our gathering here today. We have the Lord's table to my left. If you'd like to receive that, you can come up the center aisle. We'll have someone to give that to you. 
And when we come to the table, we come to the table of goodness. Where the Lord says, I have been broken, I have been bruised for you. So that you might be made whole, so that you might be made well. So you can come to receive that. To my right, as uh, the prayer team comes forward, really, Zacchaeus is driven by greed and beneath the surface, it's hard not to imagine that it's fear that's driving him. And God wants to set us free from all fear. All fear what keeps us from giving our lives in, in, in reckless trust to Jesus. And this is what God has for us today. And so maybe you're wrestling with fear. Maybe hearing this message conjures up all kinds of anxiety and anxious thoughts about generosity. And you realize, I just need someone to pray with me and pray for me so that I may live in that kind of freedom that God has offered me. And you can come up to receive prayer. We'll have some folks to pray for you. But as we close, I, I want to invite you to open your hands towards heaven. You can come up for whatever needs you have for prayer. But I, I want to invite you to open your hands towards heaven. And we end every gathering like this because this is a picture of the normal Christian experience. Living free with our hands open, not grasping, not trying to hold on, but living as free people with our hands open. And this is why we close every gathering like this. And so with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving, an open posture of receiving, Brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May he shine his face upon you. May he fill you with peace. May you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit with a greater awareness of his goodness towards you. And may that goodness fill you with gratitude and may that gratitude overflow with generosity. So I bless you all today in the strong and the beautiful In the generous name of Jesus and the people of God said, Amen. Amen. Grace and peace, everybody.